We have been in a series called Made for More, and if you have brought your Bibles this morning, we're going to be turning our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. If you're new or maybe you haven't, uh, didn't bring your Bible, we, the, the, the scripture is going to be up on the screen, and we're going to have slides so you, you can follow along this morning. But we have been in this series called Made for More, and this morning is our very last part of this series, so we're going to give a little bit of a review this morning, but I also want to emphasize uh, next week we are doing something called Conversation Sunday. I know I've been plugging this each and every week, and during this series, we've been talking a lot about calling. What are we created to do? Who are we made to be? And I know this, that there's, there's questions that have risen up kind of in my heart and my soul. So next week, we're going to be doing something called Conversation Sunday on Father's Day, uh, both of our services, and during this time, we're going to be answering and addressing questions that were asked by you. But the, the key part of that is we're asking you to ask questions so that we can use this time to engage with those very questions that maybe have kind of bubbled up during this series. So you might say, well, how do I ask a question? Uh, one way to do that is you can do it this morning by going to the connect table and writing on a piece of paper any question that you have, anonymous question, or you can head, you can pull out what I would assume everyone has in their pocket, a smartphone, go to our website, poncacitychurch.com, and if you click on our events page, there's a spot for you to just type any anonymous question. And I'm so excited about next week, not only to celebrate our dads, but also to get to celebrate and see what God's been stirring up in our church community as we spend the entire Sunday really just answering questions that many of you guys have had during this series. So super excited about next week, but ask, I want to encourage you once again, ask, ask, ask away, ask any question as we engage with these questions as a community. But I had you guys turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to get you guys caught up to speed a little bit about where we've been, particularly last week. The title of last week's message was titled this, More Outside. And we've been looking at this letter to the Ephesian church that's in the Bible, right? And this apostle, this leader of the church, Paul, man, he's been through so much as a follower of Jesus. The church is just beginning. Jesus resurrected and ascended into the heavenly realm and sent his church out to be a force to be reckoned with in the world. So we have this apostle, this leader of the early church, Paul, being really in chains, being uh, under house arrest as he's writing this letter of encouragement to these churches in the region of Ephesus. And it's amazing because the letter to the Ephesian churches really acts almost as this like kind of final conclusion of Paul saying, hey, like, if, if, if my faith and my back is up against the wall here, but if I'm going to say, if I'm going to leave any legacy behind, knowing that the possibility of him simply dying because he's a follower of Jesus, if this happens, what do I want the church to look like in terms of a legacy that continues to move on in the world that we live in? So last week, we started, we, we engaged around this idea, and it'll be up on the screen. We kind of landed on this question last week with this topic of more outside, and the question is this. Will you, as a person, embrace your unique mission field outside the four walls of the church building? Because Jesus, he commissioned us to not just be a people a few hours a week that come and huddle together. And we've been looking at this phrase as a church and the posture that we're going to take and our commitment at Ponca City Church is, is the posture we're taking is you can do it, we can help. Meaning this, we can't force feed you to live and grow in your faith and live out what we believe the unique calling placed on your life looks like for you. See, as a human being, you have to navigate, steward, and process through what that entrepreneurial journey is going to look like for you as a person. And it's very different from the posture we could take where we swap those words of saying, as a church, we can do it and you can help. Because when we do it and you help, all we're doing is empowering you into church programs, right? And here's the thing, I think church programs are great. 
I think mini- churches or ministries within the walls of the church are amazing. We need those things to catalyze, to spur our faith so that we collectively accomplish things as a church. But when we reduce the vision of the church down to just that, we're missing out on all the other slices of the pie of what God's vision is for his church to accomplish. See, when we say you can do it and we can help, what we're doing is we're reflecting what the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Ephesian church was encouraging the church to look like. We're actively and aggressively activating you as a unique creation empowered by God into your mission field outside of the walls of the church, right? And it's amazing because there's, there's, there's 168 hours in a, in, a work, in a week, right? And many times we reduce church down to maybe a couple of those hours. But here's what I believe. God wants to utilize those other 166 hours. What is God doing there? What does that look like? You could be a person that's like, man, you know, I, I do all these things for church. You know what I mean? Like, you could eat up your week with eight hours of church. Okay, what about the other 160? You see, we could use every excuse about church programs and how much we do, 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 do. And God's like, no, 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 wait a second. I want to use you as a powerful vehicle and vessel as my church with all those hours in the week and what that could possibly look like. So we've been talking about this idea of calling. What are we called to be and to do as human beings, right? So this morning, we're going to look once again at this idea of our sweet spot of our calling. It'll be up on the screens, right? We're really kind of cluing into three words, identity, our mission, and our position, which we framed around three simple words, be, do, go. When it comes to who we are as human beings, we're typically asking three questions about ourselves. One of those being, who am I created to be? There's the identity, right? Who am I? Who am I created to be? Second thing is do. What am I made to do? We want to accomplish good things. This is our mission. And then lastly, our position, where do I fit in? And here's the beautiful thing is that when we identify those things, they intersect and they create this amazing sweet spot of what it looks like to be a human being flourishing on this earth, connected with our purpose and what it means to live and thrive as a human, living, breathing, living on this earth in the short amount of time that we have. Up on the screen, we're going to look at our what we're identifying as our sweet spot and what God has called human flourishing to be. If we go to that next slide there. Our primary calling is, comes out of Matthew 28. This isn't a mystery for the church. Jesus sent his church on a mission, and that mission helps us define the be, do, go of what each and every follower of Jesus is called to. You can't erase this. You can't delegate this just to the pastor. You can't just delegate this to the church staff. This was a mission that God called every follower of Jesus to, not to be a good person, not to just take a couple hours a week in our schedule and say, I'm a Christian, not to just inherit the family traditions of coming to church. This is actually the primary calling of where we are going to make our investment, which is the sweet spot spot of what Jesus has called his church to do. And here's what it is. It's to be a disciple who makes disciples wherever you are. Wherever there's people, there's opportunity for God to break in because God is a God of relationship. God does not use his leadership to literally like take this heavy hand as God himself and abuse us as his people, but he comes in the humble form of human relationship, born as an infant, growing up under the capacity of of living as a human being, experiencing the capacity of what we as humans experience ourselves. But the beautiful thing about God's mission and our primary calling is each and every one of us are unique and different. Not one of us is the same. So within this primary calling, there's this unique calling that comes out of Ephesians chapter 2 that we've been looking at in this letter to Ephesians, right? 
Each and every one of us have a sacred summons that's unique to us, called our unique calling, our personal calling. And it's this, that I am uniquely made to do good works and deeds wherever I can be most effective. See, this is the sweet spot underneath the overarching sweet spot of what God has called us to do. See, each and every one of us have a unique masterpiece mission. Each and every one of us are called to be missionaries to places only we have the grace to serve in. There's areas all of you are going to serve in that I don't have the capacity to serve in because there's a grace and a unique calling on your life to serve those areas. But are we doing it? And as we've learned in the first chapter of Ephesians, we've been basing it off this assumption that God gives this vision for his church and he calls his church to be the fullness of Jesus into everything in every way. Meaning this, Jesus' vision for the church is for us to be empowered as unique masterpiece missionaries in our city, in our culture, in our society to fill every nook and cranny with the goodness of God. That can't be accomplished between one pastor, one church staff. That's accomplished between each and every one of us owning the calling and the mission God has placed on every one of us uniquely. So this morning, as we conclude this series, I'm so excited about this one. The title of the message is this, More Offense. More Offense. I just want to ask us a, a question this morning as we lead this off. Um, anybody ever been to a really interesting truck stop bathroom? Here, here's, what I, here's what I know is that you moved to Oklahoma. I'm a West Coast guy originally. Grew up in Seattle. Uh, lived in L.A. for about 10 years. And um, you realize when you move to Oklahoma, uh, you don't know what a gas station or a truck stop really is, right? Because we got things like Quick Trip. Like, you, you take a t- trip to Texas, you got Bucky's. Um, in fact, I have a Bucky's uh, pop socket on my phone because I went to Bucky's for the first time. If you've never been there, like, this is a gas station in Texas. I mean, it's like a Walmart, a Bass Pro Shops, a butcher shop, like, all smashed into one. You think I'm lying? Like, somebody put, somebody put the bar really, really high for me, and I showed up, and I was still blown away. I was like, Lord, is this what the kingdom of heaven looks like in its fullness? Right? Like, you just show, like, it's so impressive. But how many of you guys have ever been to one that's just, like, super sketch? Right? So Callie and I, we, we were visiting Nashville for our four-square national convention for our denomination last week. And we were driving back, and we were just, like, in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. And um, we were like, okay, let's get gas. Let's, next gas station, right? It's just like Russian roulette. Like, let's just, hey, the next one. We're not running out of gas. Just kind of like, hey, next one we see, let's go. And I'll kid you not, like, I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> Immediately when I got out of the car and I started walking towards the building, I was like, this is a massive mistake, Right? Like, Callie and I, without saying anything, we're both simultaneously on the same page, as scared at the same level. We walked into this bathroom, and like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just sketch. All over. You get into the bathroom, and like, downtown Beirut, right? It looks like everything exploded, right? I mean, the, the, the toilet, the, the stall that I was in, like, literally, there's like, just water seeping out, just like, leaking. There's like a pool of water on the floor, like, the, basically, the, the MO of Callie and I, on this mission of literally stopping to go to the bathroom at this truck stop, was to get in and get out. Get in, get out, as fast as possible. But I say this because this is very interesting, because the get in, get out mentality is sometimes how Christians treat the world that we live in. We can so easily treat the world like this. We're here to get in and get out. Get in, okay, God, you give me promises, I'm, okay, well, now I know that, get out. Get in, get out. I, I don't want to stay here, right? In the meantime, since I've, I've met you, God, we're going to bunker down in the foxhole of the earth until the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back. But it's interesting, because what we've learned in this series is 
The church is not a hideout, but a flood of the fullness of Jesus into every nook and cranny in our society. While we are living, breathing on this earth, and you and I are unique masterpieces with unique personalities, called to be missionaries wherever we live, work, learn, and play. You see, we're not called to be people that bunker down into the foxhole defensively, but God has called us to be people of absolute offense. We're not called to get in and get out because we don't want to be here. We're hiding from what could poison us, what could hurt us. But we've been called to be people of offense. I think about when Jesus began his church called his disciples, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who is on offense there? Who is on offense? I see a church that says, hey, we're going to run into the fire to help other people know the fullness of who Jesus is. I think about the profound heroism of people like the firefighters on 9-11 who went towards the fire ran into the fire to go grab and to save other people. You see, as Christians, we've been called to do the same. We can believe the lie, we're going to hide out, we're going to bunker down, we're getting in this world, we're getting out, or we can embrace this massive vision that God has for his church to say, actually, we're people of offense who have been called to be the fullness of Jesus in every nook and cranny of our city, our society, the world that God loves so deeply. But how are we living that out? What does that look like? Are we fulfilling the vision that God has? And here's what I know. Demonic evil will do anything to thwart that vision and plan God has for his church. Anything. See, demonic forces will do anything to make sure that you and I don't understand we are unique masterpiece missions not to bunker down. Not to check boxes with our faith, but actually live a faith offensively. Backed by the authority and the power of the spirit. Backed by the authority to understand we've been called to live a life of fullness. To run into the fire. The fire is painful. Suffering exists. But the good thing about it is Jesus promises to be there. Jesus promises a life beyond this very own. To come. But what does this look like? You see... If activating all of God's people into their masterpiece mission is God's plan for carrying the fullness of Jesus into the world, here's what I know. We will experience opposition. We will experience opposition. We will make the demonic forces angry. We will stir up things in the spiritual realm that says, I do not want that to happen. We will begin to anger The evil spiritual forces that come against the freedom and the breakthrough that Jesus wants to see happen on this earth through the vehicle called his church, his bride, the family of God called to be a force to be reckoned with to invite people out of the fire, to pull people out of the wreckage of what it means to be a human being in our brokenness and to help build a vision. See, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 6 this morning. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Ephesians 6, Paul ends Ephesians 6 talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to look at a couple verses in Ephesians chapter 6 as he concludes Ephesians. And as we conclude this series this morning. See, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not, the, the, the fight we're fighting is not against flesh and blood. But who is it against? Rulers. Against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Can we pray this morning as we continue? Lord, you are all powerful. And there's a unique grace on each and every one of us to fully comprehend and understand that as imperfect people, you've given us heavenly authority. You've given us power to be people that live life in human capacity and flourish to the extent beyond our wildest dreams, simply because of who you are and what you invite us as human beings into. Lord, we're all broken, but we're thankful that by what you've done, you've promised to not only put us together, but you, you promise us to be people that thrive, to be offensive, to not bunker down, to hide out, to wait until Jesus comes back. But Jesus invites us until he comes back into an offensive mission to invite the Holy Spirit, to invite heaven's presence to every nook and cranny of society. And as Jesus declared it and empowered it, that's not built upon one person. That's not built upon pastors only. That's not built upon church staffs. That's not built upon professional clergy. But it's built upon unique masterpiece mission created people that you've called to participate in what the world looks like. To change and look more and more like your kingdom. Lord, we embrace all that we have this morning and any obstacle or any way that the enemy wants to thwart the vision that you're giving each and every one of us this morning, be gone. Devil, be gone. Lord, we want to be who you've called us to be. So every obstacle is removed right now for us to see you clearly and to continue to push forward in what you've called each and every one of us to live for. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. The crazy thing about Ephesians 6 is it begins to really frame... What, as Christians, as believers, we're waging war against. Because, once again, the enemy, more than anything else, wants to confuse us on this. It's so easy to see what the enemy wants to do. The enemy of our souls. The one who wants to distract us. The one that wants us to be maybe confused about our identity. Confused about our purpose. You know, Ephesians 6 reminds us humans are not the enemy. Humans aren't the enemy. The enemy of our souls is the enemy. The devil, referred to many times in the scripture. Satan, this demonic force, personal force to be reckoned with. See, he's the enemy and his dark spiritual forces and his agenda is the enemy. So the question becomes, what's going to effectively put our effort towards a focus on the enemy of our souls rather than people? What does that look like? Because so often we can take it out on people rather than the war that Paul is encouraging the church to wage against. See, right off the bat, like, if we're just mad at people, like, the enemy's winning in our lives. Like, we're literally just, we're just chokeholding the church when we've confused who we're fighting the battle against. And Paul gives us a method of understanding how we focus our spiritual energy in the right direction and what we're waging war against. Not people, but dark spiritual forces. The personal enemy of our souls, Satan himself. He says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. See, in order to love at a capacity you don't have a capacity to love, it, it requires you to be strong in the Lord. In order to take on this world where there's massive discouragement, where there's other broken people like you and I who are trying to live life and understand what that looks like, who disappoint us, who let us down, 
See, Paul, he's giving us an antidote and a formula to that. Be, be strong in the Lord. His strength in the midst of his plan is the key to winning the battle. Being strong in the Lord. And I want to say this, and it will be up on the screen, a phrase here that what Paul's getting at here is this idea that the battle is not just out there. We've got to hide away. We've got to bunker down. But actually the battle can be in here. Because we can get confused and say, well, we're waging war against culture. We need to become a Christian nation once again. Or we could actually humbly admit as broken people, there's a bigger battle going on with our hearts. That the enemy is going to do anything he can to disrupt. See, the battle is oftentimes not institutionalized in church, but it's in our personal mind, soul. Think about Jesus, his ministry. You know, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was tempted in the desert for 40 days. It's interesting, you read that section of scripture where Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days before he begins his ministry. And the battle that was happening as the enemy tempted Jesus, it wasn't out there. There was a bigger battle going on in here. In here. In Jesus in perfect human form. What did Jesus do? Where was the battle happening? It was happening in his mind, in which he submitted to by becoming human. The devil, just to kind of paraphrase that section, remember this? If you've read this before, he says, if you're the son of God, Jesus, if you're the son of God, right after Jesus' baptism, where, where, where God himself declares, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's an attack at Jesus' identity. This is, this is not an issue with what's happening out there. This is an issue of the internal state of what it means for Jesus to be submitted to a human capacity and what he's doing about that when it comes to the forces that are coming against him in his human capacity. There's a war happening internally for Jesus that he's pushing back against with the truth of who he is under the Father's affirmation. I'll say this. It's not just a battle out there. And we need to realize we are susceptible to the battle to be in here. Literally, in here, in this room. Isn't this interesting when we think about it? Can I just be really frank, transparent, and honest about the season that Callie and I are in? The things that we're facing right now? So since we started this message series... Callie and I have been at, under absolute and consistent spiritual attack. It's been wild. It's been wild to see every week. I'll come home from a lunch break and Callie will say, what's the bad news today? What is the enemy doing today? It's unbelievable. And here's what's so amazing about it. As we've been under consistent spiritual attack, guess where the spiritual attack's been coming from? Not from unchurched people. Not the so-called heathens that exist out there. Not the ones that are corrupting all of the culture. Leading us down a path of destruction. I'm going to be really vulnerable with you guys this morning. You know where the attack have been coming from? Fellow Christ followers. People we consider to be friends. People we're supposedly supposed to be on the same team with. Even fellow pastors. I've been called the three F's. I've categorized it now. 
I've been called fake, I've been called a flake, and I've been called a false prophet. Have those been external circumstances of the people that are so susceptible of poisoning the world? But it's really interesting of where it's been coming from. You see, people aren't the enemy. The people who have been sent out to be messengers for things that aren't helpful, to not encourage what God's specifically doing in this season, not only through our church, but for Callie and I in our personal season of life. See, it's so interesting because those people are not the enemy. And for us to buy into the lie of saying those people, the enemy, they're the enemy. No, what we're doing, and we're noticing a pattern. A pattern based on our own discernment and our own authority of God's given us of saying, the enemy is trying to play the same trick over and over and over and over again. And thankful to the Lord's discernment, guess what, enemy? We figured out what you like to do and we've identified it. And it's easy for us to categorize the lies when we see them coming. It's been comical in the ways that literally the enemy has acted so consistently in such conspicuous ways. But here's the thing. You and I are not susceptible to be people that are influenced by lies. When you become a Christian, it does not mean that you cannot be influenced to be used to literally use words of destruction against people, to say things that discourage people, that push people in their discouragement in the wrong direction. We are still broken human beings, understanding what it looks like to live under a new master. All of us, in the church, out the church, are all susceptible to give and receive lies. I can give lies because I'm not perfect. I can receive lies and believe things that other people say about me that I know are not true if my strength was not rooted in Jesus. See, the letter to the Ephesian church reminds us to be people of offense. There's so many little things that the enemy wants to do to stronghold us from the mission of accomplishing the vision of what God sees and what's possible. I think about the distinction that many times we make in church between clergy and laity. We have the paid professionals who do the work of the ministry, and then we have everybody else. But that dichotomy, it's a lie from the enemy. And it robs us from our everyday calling as missionaries. That you and I, as the priesthood of all believers, are called to live up to our primary calling. To be fishers of men, as Jesus proclaimed when he called his first followers. To be those that live up to what it looks like to actually make a difference in the world that we live in. See, there's an innocent phrase that many times we say as well, that where the enemy wants to kind of just creep in. Let's go to church. But with that phrase, and even in our language that we're unaware of, creates this warped, reduced view of church where we go consume religious goods and services at a building by the paid professionals. Lie, lie, lie. Lie. See, we aren't living on the offense of our faith when we surrender to the way things are or they have been done. I don't believe we're living in the offense of our faith when we surrender to, well, we live in the Bible Belt, so everyone's a Christian. See, I, I don't think we're living on the offense when we surrender to anything short of God's vision for his church. You know, 
interesting, this, this past week we celebrated as a country the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that the Allied forces didn't surrender to the Nazis' oppressive system and regime. You see, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that there was offense that said, no, this isn't okay. We're not going to defensively hide and bunker down, but actually we're going to intervene and do something about the fact that people are experiencing injustice. People are experiencing the literal fire of suffering in their lives, and we are willing to be people that go on the line and suffer for the sake of those very people on behalf of their suffering they're experiencing because of injustice. We surrender to Jesus. He holds the ultimate victory in the war over our souls and the potential of human flourishing in this life and his weapon to accomplish those very purposes in the middle of this warfare is this beautiful thing called sacrificial love. Not the weapons of our carnal warfare that we think about. Not the weapons that where we get personally offended and feel like we need to get even with that person, but a sacrificial love where we give up our rights to understand to the other people that think, live, and differently than we do, but understand that Jesus sees them, loves them, affirms them, and wants them to understand what human flourishing is all about under his reign on this earth. But it puts us in a place where it forces each and every one of us to be and own that we are missionaries on the offense. Radical and sacrificial love. Christians are called to win the battle over selfish spiritual forces. Because here's what I believe. We've been talking about our primary calling, our unique calling in this series. Here, let's, let's flip it. Here's, here's what I believe the enemy's primary calling is. It's going to be up on the screen. See, here's where the enemy's primary calling is. Here's where he's caused us to be insecure in our be, our do, our go. Our identity, right? Our mission, our position. Here's, here's his thing. Here's, here's where he wants be a gifted, self-centered person. Because here's the deal. You and I, you're born to this earth, you're going to have natural gifts. You're going to have decent biology. You're going to have a DNA where you've inherited things that you can do that nobody else does. The enemy's like, all right, we'll do those. Use those. Be gifted and a self-centered person. Do it. Make it all about you. Who gains worldly success and notoriety. What do you do? Go be successful. Go climb the ladder. Ladder. Go stomp on other people on the way up. Go oppress the system says and the economics of what it means to be a steward where you take all of it hoard while people are literally finding injustice in their lives. Use that power to abuse people that are different than you. Use that notoriety in a selfish way because, God, because you've been naturally gifted and talented. And where are you going to do that? Where's your position? Wherever you find personal happiness and contentment. Because it's about you. It's about you climbing the ladder. It's about you being a naturally gifted person that can use that power and authority in the natural sense to wreak havoc on this earth and be a human person who flourishes in absolute selfishness on the benefit of other people's suffering. See, that, that's the primary calling of the enemy. And so easily, man, we can, eat, we can do that. That's natural to us. It's natural for me and for you to be a self-centered person, not caring about the benefit of the other turning a blind eye to the injustices we see each and every day. Not actually running into the fire of where God has called us to be heroically as God's kingdom people. See, the enemy's primary calling, the goal of it is significance. 
be somebody. To be significant. You gotta be somebody in this world. You gotta find that. You gotta, you gotta chase after that. You gotta live that in a way where you mean something to the world. I gotta have significance. It's about me, it's about me finding me, finding my place as being an important person. What a horrible way to live and not represent human flourishing and the potential of what you can do as a human being in the way that God's designed you in your full potential. So here's what I believe. It'll be up on the screen. In order to win the battle, we must consecrate ourselves for Jesus and his mission. Ourselves. You. Me. The battle. We can easily believe in the, in the lie that it's all out there. But there's something that Jesus is constantly placing a priority on in the scriptures when he confronts people. Their hearts. Them. What are you doing? What does this look like for you? What does your faith look like? What do your rhythms look like? How do you have a relationship with Jesus? How are you being first and foremost with God? And on the next slide, it helps us see why this makes sense for why God's designed it the way he's designed it as our, designed it as our primary calling, right? To be a disciple who makes disciples wherever we go. Because that's self-sacrifice. That's not about significance. That's saying I'm called on mission to go serve other people. This isn't about me. This is taking my time to invest in other people. To, to, to help sit and be in intimate relationship with other people where I'm helping pushing their life towards kingdom principles in the way that Jesus lived his life. See, it's not significance, it's self-sacrifice. It's saying I'm laying down my rights to go run in the fire for other people and to invest in them. And to not stand at a distance and act like that's going to be, everything's okay. No, but the humble form of relationship of what it looks like to live life with other people and invest in other people. Taking up your time to not always just selfishly hoard it for yourself, but self-sacrificially giving your life to invest in other people. It's beautiful. And it's God's mission. And it's been his mission and his primary calling for his church from the beginning. But then there's this personal calling that you're uniquely made to do good works and deeds wherever you can be most effective. See, the there's a danger in this. Because so easily that second one can be, that could, that could just be it. Oh, I came to know Jesus and I'm understanding that he's uniquely created me to do good works and deeds wherever I can be most effective. I'm going to do, 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 do. I'm going to do and I'm going I'm to understand who I am and I'm just going to do and I'm going to do. But the danger in that is it can turn into significance because you realize I am somebody. See, but this is why it has to work in tandem with God's mission first. This is why God's mission is primary because the, the minute we run off with our personal calling and to just ignore the mission that God's called us through human relationship to relate to one another, to invest in one another, it becomes, it has the danger to become about our significance once again. See, we're under submission to a larger calling that forces us to get into a place of saying, my life is not my own. My life is built for the investment in others in human relationship in the same humble form that Jesus came in his human relationship. See, it's interesting that these two ideas of what God's called us to do work in tandem together. And when they do not, we get out of sync and the enemy of our souls begins to win in our lives. See, it's interesting because God's primary calling begins with being a disciple. His primary calling for us, let's not, let's just zoom back. The first thing that Jesus is asking us to do in the primary calling for our lives is to not go do things, but to be. 
to simply be with him. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is the first and most important dimension of calling. The real battle for our lives is not on an activity level of how much we do, but it's based on an identity of level of understanding God constantly speaking to our lives and reminding us who we are in him. What you do matters, who you are matters more. Jesus' primary confrontation is your heart. Todd Wilson, love this quote, I was reading this this week, and he says this, he says, we have to understand that Christianity is different and begins with God's longing for us. And even when our relationship is hindered, God is the one who works for and searches for us. Let us not forget the simple, profound idea that Jesus constantly is chasing after you each and every moment of the day, waiting for you to spend time and just be with him. See, this is what Christianity's all about. But we can so we can become church celebrities. Church doing without being. Loving claiming to be a part of this institution. I love doing what I do at the church. Do, do, I'm doing at the church. But my life's a mess. And your secret life looks nothing like Jesus. Stop playing the church facade. Stop. Stop playing the church game because you were made for more. We're going to close on this story and this will be up on the screen and it's this idea of institutional proxy versus relational proxy. You know, in our nation's history, the Revolutionary War is, is very interesting to study because over 200 years ago, George Washington... He led a tattered colonial army through a devast devastating losses, a brutal winter, and extreme discouragement against the greatest military force in the world, Britain. They won. How in the world did we win that? How did we do it? How did anyone other than Britain win that war? Number one, George Washington was a great leader. Yeah, let's, let's give credit where credit's due. Great leadership. We need great leadership. We need it in our churches. We need it in our country. We need that. But there's this other key ingredient that, that's really interesting that we need to address. It's called proxy. Proxy defined as this, the power of a person authorized to act as a substitute for another. See, the difference between Britain and us in the Revolutionary War is, see, Britain had what we would call an institutional proxy. They weren't at home. They were acting on behalf as this powerful force to be reckoned with, crossing the seas and battling us from a distance representing the institution of this powerful army, Britain. See, their proxy wasn't personal, it was institutional. But for us, you see, the U.S. Army, the army at the time, the historical army that led to our country to what it is today, stood on this amazing power and foundation of proxy that was so personal. They owned this ongoing battle in a way that the British Army never could because they were literally protecting their farms, their families, hiding behind their trees on their property from fire, battling in their cities they called home. See, institutional versus personal proxy is at the core of why underdogs with a cause have defeated mighty foes again and again throughout history. 
See, personal proxy is the reason why the early church in a dominant culture where they were up against a wall, they had no chance, but they were fighting for something bigger. They were fighting for something more. The reason why a chained up Paul who died because of his faith lived and saw so many people experience Jesus is because he was fighting for something more even in the midst of his suffering. Anytime we give up personal proxy to the institutional proxy, we dilute the purpose and the passion of the larger movement. When we buy into the republic form of church, we're giving our personal power to the paid pastors and professionals. And it's up to them to represent God's voice in the world. You were made for more. There's a quote by John Orberg. It's going to be up on the screen. He says this. A calling is very different than a quest for fulfillment. A calling, though we glamorize it, is not glamorous. It is a response to a summons. It is a kind of surrender. It is a willingness to die to the past and move to the future. Man, all of church history up to this point in 2019, here's a great reminder of a quote that I think about. What got us here will not get us there. What got us here will not get us there. Fascinating question I've been wrestling with as we close this morning. Somebody asked us at our Foursquare convention last week, said this, if your church was the only church left, what would you do? Is it enough to just be the thing that we think everyone else needs? Is it enough to do this thing and start playing a facade and a game for everybody else? Or is it enough to understand we have a sacred summons built on advocating for a much higher purpose and mission on this earth to invite other people out of the fire, to pull them out, to aggressively and offensively run into those very fires? So the question that we're going to leave ourselves with in this series that will be up on the screen is this. Are you ready to go on the offense of your calling? Are you ready? Are we ready to take more steps forward in what it means to follow Jesus? Because we're made for more. We were created for more. We are called for so much more. You can do it. And we can help. And we as a church family exist to help you grow. Exist to help you be everything God has created you to be. Amen. Let's pray this morning.